Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. Welcome to you guys. I'm glad you're here. You guys ready to get in the Word? Good, good. I think that's, I hope that's why we're here. We want to meet with him. We want to hear from him. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 15 tonight. If you have your Bible, you can open it there this time. If you need a Bible, just grab one from the ushers while they're passing by. I told you last week that we were going to do like five chapters this week, but if you put me alone with a Bible for a while, and um, it's just not going to happen. So tonight we'll just do the rest of chapter 15. Because there's some cool things, there's actually one cool thing in there uh, that leads to another and, um, and to another and to another. So <laughs> let's uh, um, turn there now, First Samuel chapter, sorry, Second Samuel chapter 15. And um, I think what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to pray first right now at the opening, and then I'm going to read from verse 7 through the end of the chapter. Uh, and I'm going to have you follow with me on the storyline, and then I'm going to um, get into it a little bit. I'm not going to go uh, through every single verse after that, but you guys will have already heard the story, and you'll understand the context, and uh, we'll go through parts of it, and you'll understand the whole of it uh, as we conclude. So let's just pray. Father, we just want to thank you again tonight, Lord, for uh, calling us here. And in this moment, right now, Lord, we open our hearts to your voice and to your truth and to your word. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit would fill us, Lord. You said that you don't need that any man teach you, but that the anointing which you've received from him will teach you all things and guide you into all truth. So Lord, I pray that you'd help each of us tonight in our need. Uh, Help us to have understanding of the times that we're living in. We thank you, Lord, that your word is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that uh, you speak today, Lord, through the things that you have spoken in the past. So help us, Lord, to hear your voice through it. So anoint our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 7. For those of you that may be joining us for the very first time, the context uh, of this passage and of this chapter is that David is the king. Um, He has had some sour happenings in his family life, and he has a son who is in the process of launching a coup against his father and trying to take over the kingdom. And that is the context where we pick up in verse 7. And it says, "...the came to pass..." After 40 years, and that's actually a translational error, uh, it is, it is um, almost impossible, I don't want to say it's totally impossible because nothing's impossible with God, but um, it's probably four years is what it's supposed to be. Uh, David only reigned for 40 years, uh, you know, so I, I don't think it's 40, it's probably four uh, in the context of the two that had passed last week. You can pick that apart in your own, don't get distracted by it. But it says, it came to pass that Absalom said unto the king... I pray thee, let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed unto the Lord in Hebron. So they're in Jerusalem. He wants to go to Hebron. For thy servant vowed a vow while I abode at Gesher in Syria, while he was in exile, afraid of his family, of his brothers and of his father, because he had killed his other brother because that brother had raped his sister. Yeah, it was that sordid saying that if the Lord bring me again indeed to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said unto him, go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigneth in Hebron. That is, Absalom is the new king. 
And with Absalom went 200 men out of Jerusalem that were called, and they went in their simplicity. They knew not anything. They were naive. He chose them on purpose, and they didn't know that this was happening, but now they're there. And so Absalom sent then for Ahithophel, the Gilonite, David's counselor. He is the head of David's CIA, the most intelligent man, the chief counselor of David. From his city, even from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices, and the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. I want all of you to shout as loud as you can, there's a conspiracy. You all crazy conspiracy theorists, all of you. (laughs) And there came a messenger to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. And David said unto all his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, arise and let us flee, for we shall not else escape from Absalom, make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring evil upon us and smite the city with the edge of the sword. So for the sake of the lives, for the sake of sparing the city from carnage, David steps aside. And the king's servants said unto the king, Behold, thy servants are ready to do whatsoever my lord the king shall appoint. And the king went forth and all his household after him. And the king left ten women, which were concubines, to keep the house. And the king went forth and all the people after him and tarried in a place or waited in a place that was far off. And all his servants passed on beside him. And all the Cherethites and the Pelethites and the Gittites, 600 men which came after him from Gath, passed on before the king. Then said the king to Ittai the Gittite, Wherefore goest thou also with us? Return to your place and abide with the king, with, with Absalom. You go back and just be with him. For you are a stranger and also an exile. I don't know if I trust you. Whereas you came but yesterday... Should I this day make you go up and down with us, seeing I go where I may, return thou and take back your brother, and mercy and truth be with you. You don't feel like you have to be obligated, you can go back. And Ittai answered the king and said, as the Lord lives, and as my lord the king lives, surely in what place my lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also will thy servant be. And David said to Ittai, go and pass over. And and, in a sense, he says, okay, you can come along with us. And Ittai the Gittite passed over and all his men and all the little ones that were with him. And all the country wept with a loud voice and all the people passed over. The king also himself passed over the brook Kidron and all the people passed over toward the way of the wilderness. And lo, Zadok also and the Levites were with him bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God and Abiathar went up until all the people had done passing out of the city. And the king said unto Zadok, who's one of the priests, carry back the ark of God into the city. If I shall find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me again and show me both it and his habitation. But if he thus say, I have no delight in thee, behold, here am I, let him do to me as seems good unto him. The king said also unto Zadok, the priest, are not you a seer? Return into the city in peace and your two sons with you, Ahimaaz thy son, and Jonathan the son of Abiathar. See, I will tarry in the plain of the wilderness until there come word from you to certify me. So he says to these two priests that bear the ark, he said, you guys go back, take the ark with you. And he says, you will be, in a sense, intelligence should you be able to send a message to me if I need it. 
So Zadok, therefore, and Abiathar carried the ark of God again to Jerusalem, and they tarried there. And David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives, and he wept as he went up, and had his head covered, and he went barefoot, and all the people that was with him covered every man his head, and they went up, weeping as they went up. And one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And it came to pass that when David was come to the top of the mountain, where he worshipped God, behold, Hushai the archite came to meet him with his coat torn and earth or dirt upon his head. Unto whom David said, if you pass on with me, then you will be a burden unto me. I have another mouth to feed. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I have been your father's servant hitherto, so will I now also be thy servant. Then maybe you, for me, will defeat the counsel of Ahithophel. You have the opportunity to go undercover and to defeat the counsel that Ahithophel gives to Absalom. And hast thou not there with you Zadok and Abiathar the priests? Therefore it shall be that what things soever you shall hear out of the king's house, you tell it to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Behold, they have there with them their two sons, Ahimeaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. And by them you shall send unto me everything that you can hear. So Hushai, David's friend, came into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. So David comes up with a little bit of a plan of his own. He has the priests sitting in a neutral position. He has a traitor, uh, a Trojan horse, in the person of Hushai, hoping to defeat the council of Ahithophel. And he has messengers, the two sons of the priests, that can then bring the word, the intelligence to David so that he can know what he's supposed to do. And so David does everything that he can. What an amazing and interesting story. But there's a word there that we read uh, at the beginning of the chapter in verse 12, where it says that the conspiracy was strong. There was a conspiracy. And I want to talk about that a little bit tonight. When Jesus taught, often he would speak in parables. You guys know that if you've read the New Testament. It's not often that Jesus would be in a group or a multitude uh, where the multitude around where he wouldn't begin to speak to the people in parables. And uh, he did it intentionally, and it was insightful, and it stirred up a lot of conversation, but it frustrated the disciples often because they didn't know what Jesus was talking about. He would tell these stories about farmers and earth and rocks and all these uh, things, and, and they would hear what he was saying, but they didn't understand it. And then Jesus would make them feel even worse But the end by saying, well, if you have ears to hear, let him hear, you know? And, and, and one time they asked him, they said, Lord, why do you do that? It's so frustrating. And Jesus said, I do that because unto you it is given to understand the secrets and the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But unto them, those that are on the outside, it is not given. And it is a way that I can communicate deep spiritual truths to you that you'll understand, and I can give you intelligence, and I can let you in on secrets 
in a way wherein all you need is the Spirit of God and understanding that comes from God to unlock these things, and you'll have wisdom. And I can say it to a crowd, but only some people will really understand. And so it's a way it's freely available, but yet it's still hidden from those to whom it is not intended for them to have it. Jesus said, that's why I speak in parables, okay? Now, there's an interesting verse in Hosea's prophecy. Hosea chapter 12, verse 10. And I want to read it to you out of the NIV. Uh, He says this, God says, I spoke to the prophets and I gave them many visions and I told parables through them. In other words, what God is saying is that it isn't just Jesus who gave parables that revealed secrets and mysteries, but even in the lives and the events of those that lived in the Old Testament times, Through them, God also told parables, meaning that their stories and their lives, the passages that explain what happened, have within them secrets, mysteries, hidden wisdom that God intends for his people to understand, gather, and glean. But to the casual reader that's not paying attention, they are frustrated and they say, God, this doesn't even make sense. Like, why is this even here in the Bible? And although this is interesting drama, aside from the history of it all, you say, well, what does David's flight from Jerusalem really have to do with a Christian in 2021? And what could this possibly say to me? The answer is everything. Because God has given similitudes or parables through the things that happen, and he has laid out for you and I intelligence, wisdom, so that we can understand. The Bible says that in Jesus Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It says that in the New Testament book of Colossians. And God has given us his spirit to help us understand the things that he has laid out before us within the pages of his word. Okay, So this text that we have tonight is applicable and relevant in every generation, but absolutely and certainly in our generation. The times that we are living in right now are unlike any other times the United States of America has ever seen. Politically, you guys know, we are divided as ever. Socially, we're dazed and confused. Morally, we've lost our compass. And perspectively, that is understanding what's really going on around us, there's no one that really seems to have a clue what's really going on. But at the same time, it does seem that there is some intentionality somewhere in someone's mind concerning the things that we're watching unfold around us right now. And everybody kind of sees, feels, understands what's going on, and then interprets it a different way. So there's some people that interpret our days. They say that our country is being taken down from within. It's being taken over. Others say our country has become a pawn in a global power struggle. Other people say that our country has just lost its way and it's just falling like a rotten tree. It's just spinning out of control. And there are many people that say our country is doing just fine. There's no problems at all. And anybody who thinks otherwise is just a crazy conspiracy theorist. But it is true, nevertheless, that these times are unique to the United States of America. They are not, however, unique to the history of the world. The things that we're going through in these days are not new things that have never been before within the history of humanity. There has always been, and there always will be, 
an undercurrent, a fight for control and for power. There will always be a desire in ambitious men and ambitious powers to move, to plot, to position, to wait, and to, to, to try to take control over the world or over a nation or over a thing. And we see it happen all the time as we study the pages of history. There are plots, plans, positionings, and then a conflict happens and the whole thing comes to light what was going on the whole time. A move is made and there it is. A powerful invasion, like when the Persians overthrew the Babylonians. It was just life and then the move was made and there was a transition. Sometimes it's a strategic revolt in a more localized place, like Shays Rebellion or the Peasants' Rebellion, things that we've read about in history. Sometimes it's a bloody revolution, like the French Revolution or the American Revolution. And sometimes it's just an ambitious prince with a lust for power and the influence to make a move to launch a coup. And that's exactly what is happening here in this season of David's administration, of David's kingdom. He has a powerful, power-hungry, ambitious, opportunistic son who's going to make a move and try to take for himself the throne. There's a conspiracy going on in Jerusalem. Absolutely. It says that in chapter, 12, uh, chapter 15, verse 12, it says that the conspiracy was strong. Now, I know there's a big gasp. <gasps> a conspiracy? Could there be such a thing? The word conspire or conspiracy, it actually means to breathe together. That's what the word means. It comes from the con is like the, 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 the communal aspect of two or more. And spire is from the Latin uh, root that means to breathe. Okay, so it's like we get the word aspire, which means to keep breathing, keep going. We're aspiring. We know expire, which means to stop breathing. We have stopped moving forward. Okay, so to conspire simply means a plot. There's a plan. And there's a conspiracy, and it's real, all right? And there are conspiracies, and that's real. I know that's a radical thing to say. I'm probably going to get canceled, and this sermon will be censored from Facebook and YouTube because I even use the word. But let me prove it to you in very logical terms, okay? There are entire law enforcement agencies that exist for the sole reason of uncovering and undoing plots that people have to try to do things that are against the law, okay? There are laws and sentences that are called things like conspiracy to commit offense. You can be charged for that and you can go to jail for conspiracy. Conspiracy against the United States. Conspiracy to defraud the United States. There are whole law enforcement agencies that are chartered to observe what's going on, examine the various things that are happening around them, to investigate those things, and then to impostulate what certain people might be conspiring to do. And then they put forth theories based upon evidence which means that there are legal people that are paid, that their career are to be conspiracy theorists because they know that it's a real thing. Now, they can do that. But if you do that, 
<laughs> if you look at what's going on around you, observe the evidence, try to understand the players and the, the plays that are being made, and then you put forth a theory of what might be going on, well, then you're a tinfoil hat-wearing, alien-believing, Trump-supporting, anti-government, anti-vaxxer. All right? And it has been turned into a label designed to get you to shut up and sit down and mind your business. But understand that the Bible is very clear that there are conspiracies that go on in the world. And in the text that we read tonight, chapter 15 of 2 Samuel, the Bible uncovers for us one of the great conspiracies of all time. And in it, God gives to us, to his people, to you and I, two things. Number one is that he gives us the keys. He tells us how, in five easy steps, how to take over a country. If you want to do it, God lays out right here how to do it. And second of all, furthermore, he, and more importantly, really, he tells you and I how to survive, more than that, how to thrive and how to behave and live our lives or outlive a conspiracy when there's one that's being plotted around us and we are unaware of it, okay? How to take over a country in five easy steps and how to live, how to outlive any conspiracy that actually might come against us. Well, what's the context? We have Absalom, who's an embittered, enraged, influential, ambitious villain, and he's had a falling out with his family. And for the sake of political stability, there's not really many normal citizens that really know what's going on. The divided lines in David's family, what's going on. They don't know about the subsurface slime. And Absalom decides that he wants to be the king and he's going to set things right by himself and for himself. That's what Absalom is going to do. And so Absalom begins this plot and he enacts it step by step, and he launches a successful overthrow, a successful coup. He does it this way, step number one. And you can write these things down and take notes, okay? Not so much so that you can do it, but so that you can see it happening when it's going on around you, okay? Number one is that Absalom leverages the discontent and the natural injustices to garner a following. He did that in the first six verses that we covered last week. Remember when Absalom was hanging out in the gate? He was hanging out where all the people congregate. And he would find out where people were from. And if they were from any of the other tribes other than David's tribe, he would kind of, kind of implant within their minds a problem that they had and then tell them that David couldn't help them, but that he could. And he started to leverage the inequality of where they were from in a sense, their background or where they lived in order to divide people from David and to bring people unto himself. He created and prompted issues that only he could solve. And he made people feel divided, overlooked, and suppressed. And then he promised solutions that he alone was able to, save, uh, to, to solve. That's interesting. It's an interesting way of doing things, isn't it? That's exactly what Absalom did. He's like, really, you have that problem? Well, it's too bad David's the king because he, he is so racist and so biased towards the tribe of Judah that he would never even listen to your cause. But if I were the king, you would have an ear with me 
And I'm a king for all people, for all of Israel, not just for Judah. But I'm a king for all of the nation, and you could trust in me. Now, for Absalom, that was quite easy because it was kind of a small area, and people would all come to one judicial place. So he could do it just by his mouth into the ears of these people. But how would you do that in a nation that's larger than Israel? How how would you do such a thing to cause people to think that the powers that be don't care about them at all? A good way might be to get your hands on the education system of of that area, of that territory, and to begin to kind of, you know, create and prompt issues that are there. There's racial issues and social issues and economic issues, and it's unfair, and you need us. Leverage the discontent and natural injustice to garner a following. That's step one. Step two, and that starts in our text tonight, step two is to neutralize the suspicions of the powers that be. Neutralize the suspicions of the powers that be. What did Absalom do? He comes to David and he says, hey, David, you know, when I was in Gesher, in exile, I made a vow to the Lord. And I said, God, if you ever let me come back into the borders of Israel, I will give my life to you. I will serve you. So can I please go to Hebron and offer there a sacrifice unto the Lord, my God? And David's like, wow, Absalom's finally saved. We have been praying for him. This is so good. And David actually sent Absalom with his blessing to the place where Absalom is going to blow the trumpet and declare himself to be king. How did he do that? He caused David to let his guard down by telling him what he wanted to hear and covering up the truth about what he was doing with something that sounded really good, but that was absolutely false. Let's put religious pious, innocent labels on actions of treason and will quell the suspicions of those that are in charge. That's what we're going to do. We'll call it education. We'll call it economic assistance. We'll call it equality legislation. We'll call it fairness. We'll call it environmental protection. We'll call it safety. We'll call it, that's what, we'll just put names on it and everybody will say, yeah, that's That's good. We want those things. We like those things. Behind it, there may be actions of treason, but that's a conspiracy theory. We'll hide the true intent behind that, which sounds innocent and harmless. Step number two, neutralize the suspicions of the powers that be. Step number three, we're going to garner the full support of the news media and then run the story all at once. You say, oh, come on, Absalom didn't do that. Oh, yeah? Did you read it? Watch verse 10, 2 Samuel 15, 10. It says that Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then shall you say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. He, so he writes the story ahead of time, He puts it into the mouths of these people, sends them throughout the land, and he says, when the email hits your Google account, at that point, run the story. Say it loud, say it clear, and make it sound as legitimate as you absolutely can, okay? Spread it out. (laughs) Now, again, you would think, well, yeah, okay, that was then, and that was the way they did news, but that would never happen in a free and open country with open journalism. That could never happen in a republic like the United States of America. To think that that could actually happen 
where the news stories could be directing public opinion towards something that is contrary to the best interests of the citizens of the nation, you're crazy, okay? You're just asking for a joke. Am I? Watch this. Go ahead, play it. Communities. We are extremely proud of the quality, balanced journalism that CBS4 News produces. But we are concerned about trouble and trying to get responsible one-sided news stories plaguing our country. Plaguing our country. The sharing of biased and false news has become all too common on social media. More alarming, some media outlets publish these same fake stories without checking facts first. The sharing of biased and false, false news has, has become, become all too common, common on, on social, social media. media. More alarming. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. 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 It communities. We are extremely proud of the quality, balanced journalism that CBS4 News produces. But we are concerned about trouble and trying to get responsible. My question is who wrote it? Who actually wrote that script? I think Absalom wrote it. <laughs> right? And it has just been passed on from generation to generation. Now, you don't have to do too much searching. Someone way smarter than me put that together and I stole it, which that, doing that before has caused the sermons to be taken down off Facebook. If that happens, I'm sorry for those of you that will watch it later, you'll miss out, you know. But, but who wrote the story? See, it, it's, if you want to shape public opinion, then you just got to send everybody out into the various places and say the same thing really loud, and everybody will just kind of go along with it. Well, this must be what's really happening. Step number three, garner the full support of the news media, then run the story all at once. Step number four, okay? Make sure there are familiar faces in front of the camera. Watch verse 11, chapter 15, verse 11. It says, and with Absalom went 200 men out of Jerusalem that were called and they went in their simplicity and they knew not anything. So Absalom says, if this is going to gain traction, if I'm going to have credibility with the people that I am seeking to now rule over, there have got to be familiar faces, people from Jerusalem that everybody associates with David now with me. So that when they see those faces, they say, okay, this must be the natural transition of the administration. Absalom is the son of David. These were people that were with David. Now we see them with Absalom. This must be legitimate. It quells the suspicion of the citizenship. That's what he did. Now, that, that happens, believe it or not. We're just going to put celebrities on the poster and everybody's gonna believe that this is right 
because they're used to seeing those people and they like those people. Morgan Freeman got the shot and he played God. So it must be okay. Tom Brady likes Absalom. Absalom must be good, you know? And people are just naive enough that when they see a familiar face saying something, they believe it, whether it's true or not. And then finally, step five, step number five, leverage the fault lines of the current powers system. Watch verse 12. It says, and Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilonite, David's counselor from his city, even from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices and the conspiracy was strong. Now, again, Ahithophel, David's head of CIA, but he was not just the head of the CIA. He was also Bathsheba's grandfather. You guys know who Bathsheba was, right? Which means that David had an affair with Ahithophel's granddaughter. And Ahithophel was holding a grudge. He ever since that time didn't trust David. He didn't like David, okay? And so Absalom knows Ahithophel has dirt on David. He has a grudge against David and he has intelligence. I'm gonna grab him. And so he sees a fault line and he drives a wedge right into it and he steals the man who knows the most and then can help him the most. Now, this is just plain and obvious. I mean, you don't even have to be intelligent to understand that this works. Jesus would say that a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And that's true. It's absolutely true. This tactic has been employed countless times. Paul used this. Remember when Paul, in the book of Acts, he was kind of on trial and all these Jewish people wanted to kill him. And and it says that Paul was there and he perceived that one part of the group were Pharisees and the other part of the group were Sadducees. And Paul knew that there was a division between the two. And so all of a sudden he stands up and he goes, you know why I'm here? Because I believe in the resurrection. And he knew that one part believed in a resurrection and the other part didn't. And all of a sudden, they just got out their stones and pitchforks and started fighting with each other, and he snuck out the back door. You know, if you divide, you can conquer. And Absalom is employing that. He's driving a wedge into the divisions that already exist, and thereby he is able to strengthen the conspiracy. And the result of it is that the conspiracy was strong. Now, we know, we know the conspiracy is real. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you've read the Bible, if you have your eyes opened to truth and you're awake at all, you know that conspiracies are real. Psalm chapter two, okay, the psalmist declares, and it says that the the nations raged. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot a vain thing? For it says that the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. And and then God's response is that the one enthroned in heaven laughs, for he will have them in derision or he will have them in confusion. God says it right in his word. He says, listen, this is going to happen all the time. There's going to be conspiracies. If you've read Daniel chapters 7 through 12, the whole of his prophecy is all about the conspiracies that are going to happen behind the scenes that are going to cause one kingdom to come and then another kingdom to crash. And God just says, this is the way it's going to be. There's 
going to be a power struggle. There's going to be these overthrows, revolutions, revolts, governments rising and falling. It's going to happen. It happens all the time. And as long as there's a fallen world, a devil, and ambitious men, there are going to be conspiracies, okay? Now, many of us, we feel the strong undercurrents of that going on around us. We, we can sense it. We can't make sense of it, but we absolutely can sense it. And, and the way people deal with that sense is that some, some of us endlessly try to search it out, try to see it, try to understand it, try to get underneath it. Some of us respond to it by prepping, by planning, by resisting. We, we poise ourselves to want to fight against it. There's other people that deal with that feeling by trying to deny it, by resisting at any, at any uh, cost, admitting that it even exists or that it's even real. But it is real. It happens. It happens all the time. So what do you need to know and what do you need to do in light of all of that? For us, even now, that these things happen. Number one, you need to know this. You need to know that it's real. You need to know absolutely that it happens, okay? <laughs> Point proved already. Number two is you need to know that God is sovereign and that God wins. Did you catch verse four of Psalms chapter two? When it said that the nations conspire and they, they want to throw God's control off and they just, they're, they're not going to, they're going to just go, go after power, do whatever. It says that the Lord laughs. It says that he is seated upon his throne, that the Lord is seated on his throne and he laughs and he'll have them in, in, in derision or in confusion. He, he doesn't even care that they have these plots because in the end, ultimately, he's going to win. He's going to have the last laugh. All right, number three, what you need to know is that all that really matters to you and I in the world around us and the things that are going on in the world around us, all that really matters is what has already been told to us. What that means is that what doesn't matter is the deep state, the Illuminati, the Bilderbergers, the Council of Foreign Relations, Big Tech, Bill Gates, Big Pharma, the World Economic Forum, the Great Reset, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. None of that matters at all. It is all completely irrelevant. None of it matters. What does matter is what God said. What does matter is Daniel chapters 7 through 12, where God says this is what's going to happen, X, Y, and Z, A, B, and C. Revelation chapter 6 through 19, that matters. Matthew chapter 24 and Luke chapter 21, that matters. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that matters. 1 Timothy chapter 6, where Paul says that the love of money is the root of all evil, that matters. What God has said, what God has revealed, that matters. Because that is what's going to be your protection. Everything else is just noise and nonsense. You're never going to be able to understand and see how it all fits together. And if you are here tonight and you are more concerned with what doesn't matter, then you are well versed in what does matter. Then I know that you are a confused and probably a fearful person here tonight because you can't make sense of the things that you can't see, but you can make sense of the things God said. And thus he puts it there for us. God says in Romans chapter 16, verse 19, 
He says, I want you to be wise towards what is good, and I want you to be simple about what is evil. Simple is a polite King James way of saying stupid, okay? Be stupid about what's evil. So when someone comes up to you and says, do you know about the Illuminati? You say, no. (laughs) Do you know what they're doing to our money supply? You go, not a clue. Do you know what they're doing under the surface in the shadows and what the, 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 the deep state is doing? You go, no, uh. Do you know about Bohemian Grove and the, uh, what they're, the sacrifices? No. Nope. Be simple concerning what's evil. Be wise concerning what's good. Know what God says. Know what God requires and demands of you. Know where you stand in the whole thing. Understand where your citizenship is. That's what matters to you. And then finally, what you need to know is I want to remind you of this, is that the first century church was born and thrived in an empire where they were hated and had no rights. It was the Roman empire when they were killed. That's where God planted the church. Jesus would say, as he stood before Pilate, who said, don't you understand that I have power to kill you? Jesus would say, you have no power at all, except it was given to you from God. And he would say that my kingdom is not of this world. And if it was, my servants would fight. We are not citizens of this world. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you are citizens of heaven. And therefore our battle is in a spiritual realm, not in the physical realm. Okay. If then Jesus would say, here's what I know. I know, and I know this by experience, I did not read this in a book, I know this because I live it, is that human beings have limited margin space. That means there is only so much that can fit in this noggin before this noggin is so full that it starts to get confused and spin out in circles and forget the things that it's supposed to remember and remember the things that it's supposed to forget. Am I the only one that lives there? Okay, no, that is true about every single one of us in this room. And if you give yourself to try to follow and understand every political, geopolitical, conspiracy theory thing that's going on, you will soon find your mind so cluttered and your soul so confused that you will be forgetting what God said and getting lost in things that you'll never figure out. It's just the truth. You'll become cloudy and ineffective. So the question then is, what do we do? That's what we know. What do we do? What did David do? Because David gives to us the example of how to walk through conspiracy times when there's an overthrow. Number one, I'm going to give you four things that David did. Number one, go with it in reliance upon God. Go with it in reliance upon God. When David sees that this thing is happening, He doesn't say, everybody get your swords. We're going to fight against this. The last, you know, David's last stand on the palace wall. No, David goes, okay, guys, pack your suitcases. I guess we're done. And he says, we're going to go, lest they shed blood. We're just going to, listen, do you understand that if God was a martial artist, he would be a judo expert, okay? The principle behind judo is that you use your enemy's force and momentum against them. And the way that you do that is that you surrender to their advance and then you twist it around. That's what God does. That's what David is thinking. He's like, okay, if this is going to happen, then we're going to go with it and we're going to see how God works through it. 
And so David says, pack your bags. We're going to go. We're going to do it. I can't escape it and I can't resist it. So I've got to go with it. And that was the right move. That's ultimately going to be David's victory, God's victory, and it's going to restore the kingdom. The prophet Jeremiah was talking to the nation and he was saying, listen, if you don't repent, the Babylonians are going to kill you. Well, the people didn't repent. So the Babylonians came and Jeremiah's message became, now you've got to go with it. Don't try to resist it. God said this would happen. Now go with it. If you try to resist, you're going to die. If you just give into it, you're going to live. God will work it out. He'll turn it around. And that's exactly what happened. Okay. Go with it in reliance upon God. Number two, follow the king and do what he says. In verses 15 through 17 of the text, the people that were with David, the people that were on the right side of God said, David, we will go where you go and we will do what you say. That is the attitude that you and I are to have when and in these days. That is where to say, God, what do you want me to do? What's my place in this? And here's what God says. He says, your breastplate is going to be righteousness. In other words, the thing that's going to shield you and preserve you is if you do what I say, meaning I'm going to mold and shape my life according to God's values and views. I'm not going to give into the culture. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. I'm going to do what God says. I'm going to search the scriptures out and see what he would have me to do. And in that is going to be my protection and my safety. Did you catch what it says in verse 17? In verse 17, it says that the king went forth and all the people after him, watch this, and it says they tarried. Do you see that word, tarried? Do you know what it means? It means they waited. It means that they were in a holding pattern. It means that they didn't know what was going to happen. They were in limbo for a season, but that's what the king said. He said, just wait. And didn't, didn't God say that they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll rise up with wings on eagles. You know how eagles rise? They wait for the current and then they just step off the cliff's edge and they soar effortlessly. Just wait. And sometimes that's what it is. Do what he says. Wait patiently. Number three, not just go with it and follow the king, but number three is talk to the one that can actually do something about it. That's what David does in verse 31. He is weeping He's walking up the Mount of Olives and he says with his voice, he says out loud, he says, Lord, confuse the counsel of Ahithophel, overthrow it. He talks to the one that can do something about it. He doesn't post it all over his social media. He doesn't tweet out to all of his followers in Judah about how unjust Absalom is and how this isn't of him. He doesn't shout and say, this, I've been defrauded. So he says, God, I'm putting this in your hands. And I know that if Absalom is going to fall, Ahithophel is key in that fall. So God confused, confound his counsel. Talk to him. And then number four, what you should do is walk in wisdom. Everybody say that to me. Walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. Listen, there were three people that David specifically said, you go back to Jerusalem. Zadok, Abiathar, and Hushai, who was the second smartest man in the room. Isn't that encouraging? 
You don't have to be the smartest one in the room. <laughs> you can be the second smartest one in the room. And he says, you guys go back to Jerusalem, and here's what you do. Stay neutral and don't tell anybody whose side you're on. Now, I want you to think about that and internalize it for a minute. Probably one of the most foolish things that you can do in a time where powers are struggling and things are uncertain and up in the air, one of the most foolish things you can do sometimes is to let it be known what side you're on. I remember being in gym class when I was in school, and there was one particular time that we played capture the flag, and everybody picked teams, and then they separated, and I purposefully, I remember, I separated onto the opposite team, and, 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 and when they, everybody lined up and they hid the flags, I just grabbed the flag and ran back to the other side and declared victory. And everyone cried foul and said, that's not fair, he cheated the whole thing. And the gym teacher coach said, no, it's good. All's fair, man. It's a war. <laughs> you know? and, and sometimes you can't let it be known what side you're on. Because once you do, you just get labeled and branded and you're cut off from having any effect at all. Sometimes it's better to keep your mouth shut, right? Than to just let it be known where you stand on everything. You can do more good sometimes when it's not known where you stand. Did you guys catch that interview uh, where, where um, Jon Stewart was on the Stephen Colbert show? And he started going off about the Wuhan lab thing. And, and it confounded everybody. was like, what are you doing? You are undercutting our whole narrative right now. Whose side are you on? And, and no one really knew. He's like, wait, I thought you were, but you're saying, and, and listen, he never would have had the opportunity to say those things if he said ahead of time, hey guys, <laughs> I believe completely contrary to what you're saying. They would have said, you're out of here, you know? But he waited till the camera was rolling. And sometimes there's wisdom in just waiting. Keep quiet. Ahithophel, Hushai, Zadok, you guys go back. And isn't it interesting that that is who God works through in order to turn the whole thing around? It ends up being Hushai and his Trojan horse approach which brings the whole thing down and brings David back to Jerusalem ultimately in the end. There are a lot of people right now that are distracted and they're very ineffective in the midst of what we're going. A lot of Christians that know better that are distracted and ineffective. George Orwell and Aldous Huxley both prophesied of these days about 100 years ago. George Orwell in the book 1984. Aldous Huxley in the book, Brave New World. They had contrasting opinions and they were both right. George Orwell said it would come through suppression and Aldous Huxley said it would come through too much information. And they're both right. And the too much information is designed intentionally to clutter our minds and distract us and to sideline us from making any difference at all in the days that we're living in. So what's the solution? Clear out the clutter of your mind. Turn off the television that's all saying the same thing that's been written for them. Put down your mobile device. Put the mobile device down. And clear out the soil of your soul so that the seed of the word can guide you calmly and accurately through the times that we're living in. This is what matters. 
What God says matters. God knows all about this. He wrote it down. He put it right here. This is what's happening. This is how it's done over and over and over again. Clear out the clutter of your mind and put your trust in him. I wrote this down. I just want to share it with you. God has the key to every prison, the remedy to every sickness and disease. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and he possesses the peace that passes understanding. He overthrew Egypt. He plagued the king of Gerar who sought to take Abraham's wife. He crushed the power of ancient Babylon. He commanded kings to release his people. He's the one that appoints the rulers to their place and he outlives and outlasts every empire. What is your fear? Put your trust in God and not in anything else. Last thought. I know it's over time. I'm going to say one last thing and then I'm going to be done. Why is all this happening to David? Why is David being exiled and betrayed and cast out and the sadness of weeping with ashes on his head and bare feet going up to the Mount of Olives? Why is he having to worship in, in this way and mourn and, and, and be thrust out in all of it? Why is this happening? Well, we know part of it is because of the consequences of what happened with Bathsheba. But that's only part of it and probably not most of it. Really, what's going on right now is not, it's not about consequence. It's really about relationship. See, the, the foundation of relationship is common experience, right? Isn't that how and why we relate with people? We find some common ground, some common place. And God is interested in a relationship with his people. He's not concerned about servants and people that do things. God wants us to know him and he wants to know us and let us know that he knows us. And relationship is based on common experience. And the people who know God the closest don't just know him on the common ground of his joy and his power, but they also know him on the level of his sufferings and his afflictions. And what David is going through right now is exactly what Jesus Christ went through. He is shadowing the sufferings of Christ. Jesus was rejected. David was rejected. Jesus was exiled in a sense. They said, we will not have this man rule over us. David is being exiled. And they're saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. Jesus mourned as he climbed the Mount of Olives. David is mourning as he climbed the Mount of Olives. Jesus worshipped in laying down his life. David worshipped in laying down his life as he climbed the Mount of Olives. Everything that Jesus went through, David is going through. And the strongest bond that can exist between two people is the fellowship of suffering. The connection that comes when you share in the sufferings of someone else. It's what the apostle Paul was talking about in Philippians chapter three, when he talked about that, he says, I want to know him and I count my sufferings as joy because in it, I enter into the fellowship of his sufferings and it causes me to know him on a deeper level. And everyone who knows God deeply has entered into that in some way. It's why Abraham had to offer his only son. It's why Jacob found royalty in his affliction and in his limp. It's why Moses had to die before he could taste the promised land. 
It's why Paul went through all the things that he had to go through because there's depth that comes when we suffer like Christ suffered. We know him in a way that makes sense. There's a verse in Colossians, it's Colossians 1.24, and I've never understood it. In fact, I've thought it was an error. If there's an error in the Bible, I always thought it's Colossians 1.24. It says this. Could you put it up there? Okay, I'm going to read to you. Because it's not going up there. Is it up there? Why isn't it not? Okay, there it is. Okay, he says, Paul says, he says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. And I fill up what is behind or what is lacking of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. And I always read that and I'm like, Paul, are you really trying to say that what Jesus did isn't enough and that you need to suffer to make up the gap of what Jesus didn't accomplish? Because that's kind of what it says. Like, he's like, I am, I'm in my sufferings. I am filling up what is lacking of the sufferings of Christ. I'm like, no, Paul, what Jesus suffered was enough, but I get it. Paul wasn't saying that what Jesus did is insufficient for salvation. He's saying it's insufficient for my understanding. In other words, what Jesus did in his suffering was enough to pay the full debt of my sin. But until I go through some of it, I can never fully understand what it is and what it means. That's why David is going through this. Because God is deepening David to the point where David can write Psalm 20. And the Psalms that he wrote and worship in the way that he did and go down in history as the king who was after God's own heart. Whatever you're going through, whatever in the midst of it, understand part of it is a conspiracy. It's God wanting to reveal more of himself to you and get more of you for himself. That's what God's doing. May he do it. May he win. May he uh, accomplish that plot. I want to read uh, a, a verse, and, and then I'm going to just step down. It's Psalm chapter 20. I'm going to read this. I want to pray this over you as we close. In fact, you guys can stand, and I'm going to just pray this as I read it over you. David wrote this psalm. He said, The Lord hear you in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob defend you. Send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. May he grant you according to your own heart and fulfill all your counsel. We will rejoice in your salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners for the Lord will fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will hear him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They are brought down and fallen, but we are risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. Let the King hear us when we call. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.